to 40. I realized as I was sitting there that, I believe I said Dawn and Carolyn, it's Bill, and I know that. I know a Dawn in Maine, so it's just going to happen sometimes. Sorry about that. I know who you are. It's Bill. Names, associations, and all that, you know, you just carry them over, and boy, sometimes it's hard to shake that. But Isaiah chapter 40, I want you to turn there in your Bibles. It's on page 512, if you're using the Pew Bibles in front of you, page 512. And this morning, we have the privilege, really I know that he's no stranger to you. Um, he's been here before, and the last time I think he was here, I was away on vacation. Um, did listen to the message, appreciated it, appreciate his heart. And uh, Jason serves as New Yorker's Family Research Foundation's president and is the executive director um, of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedom, if I have that correctly. Prior to that, he served as a pastor in Naples, New York. And uh, it's obvious, Jason, he has a heart for this region and uh, longs to carry out the Great Commission wherever he goes, which is going to be another part of the world here in a little bit, but I don't know if you're going to share that or not. That's up to you. But he wants us to look at Isaiah 40 and be reminded of being renewed. Isaiah chapter 40, let's read this. Let me read this before Jason comes and speaks. Verse 28 of Isaiah 40 asks, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? The creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary in his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Jason, come and... Speak to us what God's laid on your hearts. There we go. How's that? Now they're feeling better, all right? The sound guys are a lot calmer now. Things are going well. Because the beauty, beautiful part about speaking up here is, you know, if something goes wrong, you can just blame the sound guys. What are they going to do about it? Cut your mic off? It's all on them anyways, right? If I could have a couple of volunteers this morning to help me out as we get started. Um, if I could just pass these out, you know, one per family, whoever's interested, one of each. Um, I'll reference that a little bit during our speaking today. But it is good to be with you again. I always enjoy coming back to this area for a number of reasons. Um, of course, I appreciate Ernie so much and his help with uh, our ministry in Albany. But it's just good to come back and recognize so many faces and be greeted by friends that have stood with us for many years, and we appreciate that. For those of you who I am new to, uh, my name is Jason McGuire, and as stated, I'm the president of New Yorkers Family Research Foundation and executive director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. And I want to unpackage those two ministries a little bit for you. Uh, At New Yorkers Family Research Foundation, we are an educational ministry. We seek to impact Christians across the state and educate them about what is going on, particularly in state government, 
and in trends that will affect the pro-life, the pro-family movement here in New York. And that can mean a lot of things. That can mean religious freedoms, the rights of your church or Christian school to operate uh, without government infringement. It can mean uh, parental rights issues. And so if you're a homeschool parent and protecting your rights to homeschool your children, uh, it can mean lots of different issues that come under that umbrella. But we seek to educate the church in New York as far as those types of issues. Our tagline, if you will, at the ministry is we believe that it takes a strong family to have a strong state. Strong families mean a strong state. And so at its basis, if we're going to have a strong New York state, we have to have strong families. If you don't have strong families, you're just not going to have a strong state. Now, we can argue other things are involved as well, and I get that, but if you don't have strong families, you will not have a strong state. Many people think that the most basic uh, building block of society is the individual. It is not. It is the family. The family is the most basic building block of society, and we seek to strengthen the family in New York State. And so we educate people about some of the issues and trends that are coming down the pike. As the cards are coming around, uh, you're going to see that we have this little brochure, and on one side it says NYFRF, and that's the educational ministry, lists our website, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff is on there. But that's something you can take with you, and I hope you'll get a chance to check out those websites and that information later today. The other side of our ministry is on the other side of the card. And these are two distinct uh, organizations and two distinct ministries for all legal purposes. But New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms is a lobbying arm. It is the lobbying organization. We really minister in the New York State Capitol as we seek to influence legislation, and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that both are important. It is important that we are influencing the laws of the land because the law is a powerful shaper of what future generations will believe. And I have shared this illustration before, but for the sake of you who may be new to our ministry, I'd like to share with you the illustration of the seatbelt. And hopefully some of you remember this. But, you know, I was not yet, um, well, let's say, put it this way. I remember uh, life before there was a seatbelt law, okay? How many remember life before the seatbelt law? All right, a lot of hands going up, amen. And um, how many of you remember growing up before there were seatbelts in cars? Okay, how many of you remember growing up before cars? <laughs> All right. And so um, I remember growing up before there were seatbelts in cars. And just like today, on a Friday night when the guys get together and they're going to trick out their car, they might put a spoiler in or a light package or something like that, there was a day where you would trick out your car by putting in retrofitted seatbelts. You could literally buy seatbelt packages and you could retrofit your car by putting a seatbelt in your car. Right? But back in the day, there was a time where that would happen. Now, this younger generation today can't believe that. I mean, they thought there were, you know, there must be seatbelts back on Model Ts, right? No, you didn't have seatbelts. In fact, New York State has only had a seatbelt law for 30 years. Prior to the seatbelt law, 32% of New Yorkers wore a seatbelt. 32% prior to a law, which is actually higher than I thought it would have been, but it must have been the cool thing to do to retrofit your car with a seatbelt, right? And so 32% of New Yorkers would wear a seatbelt. Then we passed a law, 
And 30 years after we passed a law, between 90 and 95% of the population wears a seatbelt today. That's significant if you think about it, isn't it? We changed the law, and we changed what a culture believes about seatbelt use. I know this is true because I asked my children one day, I said, is it right or is it wrong to wear a seatbelt? And my kids said, Dad, it's the right thing to do. I said, why? They said, Dad, a policeman will arrest you and put you in jail if you don't, you know? (laughs) And in their young minds, the only thing they could understand about the enforcement aspect of seatbelt use was whatever a governmental jurisdiction legislates, future generations believes is morally correct. Why is it the right thing to do? The assumption is it was the right thing to do. Why? A policeman will arrest you and put you in jail if you don't. Whatever a governmental jurisdiction legislates, future generations believes is morally correct. If you doubt that, try to take your children out for a ride without your seatbelt. Put the grandkids in the car and let's say, let's go out for an ice cream cone, right? Now you have their attention. Now you try to pull that car out of the driveway without putting your seatbelt on and you have their undivided attention. We have this driveway at my house. It's not real long, but I, um, I, I can get in the car, buckle my kids, and I can get out to the mailbox, and I can get the mail <coughs> and get back in and drive away before the little idiot thing in the car starts dinging telling me to put my seatbelt on, okay? And so I get in the car, and I strap the kids in, and I go to back out of the driveway, and before I can even get to the mailbox, what are my children doing? What are they doing? Some of you know it, yeah. You're saying it so mildly. Get your seatbelt on. That's not what my kids are doing. My kids are like, Dad, 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 put the seatbelt on. Dad, come on, I don't want to die before we get to the mailbox. You know, because they take it that seriously. They, you know, they, they know, Dad, we're just, we got to put a seatbelt on. And so as soon as you put that in reverse, that seatbelt's got to go on. And I'm like, kids, I'm just getting the mail. But Dad, come on. You know, and, and they, they're young. But they have already come to believe, right? Whatever a governmental jurisdiction legislates, future generations believes is morally correct. And aside from personal freedom issues that I know people like to bring up all the time uh, when they talk about seatbelt use, you know, it's a pretty innocuous thing to talk about uh, seatbelt use. But it's a far different thing when we talk about some other laws that are passed as a society. When New York State redefines marriage for legal purposes, not for biblical purposes by any means. But for legal purposes, we have now redefined the meaning of the word marriage. It is not about two people coming together. It is about what future generations believes is morally correct. When New York State mandates certain curriculum to be taught in schools that violates what you would have taught in your home, in your value system, it is not about you, it is about what future generations will believe is morally correct. Recently, uh, New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg has instituted a mandatory sex education program that will impact all students in the New York City school um, districts. And he is allowing exceptions for certain classes that would be objectionable, um, you know, regarding um, abortifacants, that kind of a thing. But he has not allowing exemptions for areas of human sexuality or what we would deem uh, deviant sexual disorders. He does not allow any opt-out for that. Every New York City parent 
will have to have their children sit through those classes. It is an attempt to indoctrinate a future generation contrary to what the scriptures teach. At New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, we believe it is important that we influence legislation because it is a powerful shaper of what future generations will believe. When I say this in churches, people will often say, well, it's not going to change what I believe. Well, maybe not. And maybe within the four walls of the church, it will not impact what you or people around you may think. Although I would beg to differ, I think it's already having a great impact on the church. But the reality is, most people will not be within these four walls. They will be outside these four walls. And what they believe to be morally correct is impacted by the laws of the land. But we also say that we exist to influence legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ because the reality is the law cannot save. You ever thought about what the law can do? The law can restrain certain behaviors, right? Or it can encourage things that you should do. But it does not save you. And so when you think about the law, we talk about what the law can do, and and we say, all right, well, there's two kinds of laws. There's laws in which we punish bad behavior. We want to discourage certain things, and so we pass a law to try to stop that. Or we pass a law that that makes people do something that they should do. And, And those are the two things. But it's always revolving around trying to restrain or encourage certain behaviors. At its core, it can't really change the heart, though, can it? And so the law cannot save. The Old Testament law cannot save. New Testament teaching or the law cannot save. Only means of salvation comes through Jesus Christ. New York State law cannot save. Do we need any more evidence of that? (laughs) So the reality is we exist to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you're not familiar with us, or even if you are and you've not received our materials before, I want to encourage you to sign up for our email list. Uh, If you've not signed up to get our email or our postal mail, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Uh, First of all, if if you're one of those people that um, um, does not understand what Facebook and Twitter and all those things were about we were talking about, you have a white envelope you've been handed to you, and if you just want to write it out, um, you can fill that out and hand it to me, and I'll take it back to the office, and we'll sign you up for things like our newspaper, that recently has undergone a format change. We used to have the 12-page uh, newspaper format, and we've now gone to the full-color glossy, but I, I think that's really good for a lot of ways. One of the things it's allowing us to do is it will allow us to still give a print publication to people that are not as internet-savvy as others, but it also will allow us to then take the paper and keep it in a format that we can email or we can put online that people can literally print from their home computers if they'd like. And so that's very helpful. And I would encourage you to sign up to get that so you can know what is going on with some of these issues and these trends here in New York State. So you can either fill out the envelope uh, to get that email. Although, you know what, if you're in this generation that uses like the smartphones and the Facebook and the Twitter, to ask you to fill out an envelope is too much work for one day, okay? Um, And you know who you are, right? By this time of the service, you're starting to twitch because it's been like almost an hour since you've been able to check your, your phone. And so we can have a little group therapy session right now if you want, okay? If you're one of these people that has to use your BlackBerry or your iPhone or whatever, you could actually pull it out right now, and this is the only time in church you're actually allowed to do this, okay? 
So you know how you sit in church and people are like reading the hymnals and the guy's got the Blackberry sitting right in the hymnal like, like nobody knows he's actually reading the Blackberry? Well, this is that time of service where we can treat your addiction real simply. You can take your Blackberry out. You can text the word freedom to 22828. The word freedom to 22828. And that will sign you up for our emails, okay? So it's another way you can do that or you can visit our websites. Enough with the commercial stuff, right? Uh, That's who we are. That's what we're about. But I want to share with you some things that God is doing in and through our ministry. I, um, as Pastor referenced a few moments ago, our family is uh, looking to actually spend some time overseas in December. And so just on a personal note, I'd, I'd ask you to be in prayer about that. We are scheduled to depart December 8th and to return around the end of December. Uh, my wife grew up in Mali, West Africa, as I've spoken about here before. And her brother is still over there. They're involved in Bible translation work. And I have been invited to speak as a regional uh, pastor for a missions conference that will be in the West Africa region um, in December. And so I'm excited about the opportunity to go back to West Africa. My wife is looking forward to a return trip. Um, She's not been there in 15 years, and so it's going to be a neat opportunity for us, hopefully, to take the kids as well and to uh, show them where mom grew up and what life is like in West Africa. You know, life the pace of life in America is very different than it is in West Africa. And last night, someone who spent some time in Africa said to me, well, you remember what it's like, right? And I said, well, I I think so. And they said, well, when you get to West Africa, uh, you're just going to find that everything just kind of goes like this. Because in America here, we're always going, we're always moving. You get back to West Africa, and things just, you don't have to get something done every 15 minutes. Things just kind of go like this. I'm thinking to myself, boy, I I hope I'll be able to adapt, you know. Uh, It sounds really good to me right about now. Because it's been one of those years, if you will. We'll talk about some of the reasons for that. But there's been an awful lot going on. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to go back and to minister in a very different way, in a very different culture, and and, and just to to do some things I've not had the opportunity to do in a while. And so uh, for three weeks in December, we're looking to minister in West Africa. Excited about that. I'd ask you to pray about that. It's been a busy year for our ministry in many, many ways. And most of you have probably heard, and and I can't imagine anybody who hasn't heard, uh, that on June 24th, the New York State Legislature legalized same-sex marriage here in New York. And if you know anything about our organization, you know that we were fighting fiercely against that because we believe that God created the family to function a certain way. And we believe that kids deserve a mom and a dad And we believe that it is in the best interest of public policy and of society and, quite frankly, of the family itself to encourage homes where there is a mom and a dad. And, you know, after a long number of months, um, the Senate finally took that vote on the evening of June 24th. And it was discouraging to see senators that we thought uh, were going to vote one way and campaigned one way to flip their position for a lot of different reasons. And as frustrating as that was, the evening of June 24th, after that vote, I was driving home, and it's a four-hour trip from Albany to my home, and I was pulling in about 2.30 in the morning, and so God and I had a good opportunity to talk that night, because um, as you're traveling down that road, it's a pretty quiet night, and I was a little discouraged, and let's admit it, a lot discouraged, pretty frustrated over what had just happened, and I began to talk to the Lord about some of these issues, and I still don't completely understand why God allows some things that he does. Do you ever find yourself in that position where you 
Say, God, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. Why you're allowing to happen what's allowing to happen. Sometimes people uh, get in this position, you may find yourself going through a difficult illness or, or some kind of a debilitating disease. You say, God, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. Why are you allowing what you're allowing into my life? Or, or you find yourself in a position where there's been uh, the death of someone close to you, a dear loved one. It could be a parent, a child, a spouse, or whoever it might be. And you say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. Or you, or you find yourself, you just you kind of get in the, in the hamster wheel, and things are going and going and going, and spinning and spinning and spinning. And you look back, and you say, boy, it's been so many years have passed. And, you know, I used to be this way, and I don't really like who I am today. And what happened in that time? And you go through these periods where you get pretty emotionally and physically drained, and, and sometimes you just have to stop and have that conversation with God. You say, God, I don't understand. Well, I was having one of those conversations with God, and Isaiah chapter 40 came to mind. Let's have a word of prayer before we go any further this morning. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of coming before a God who, as has already been stated this morning, does not grow weary. He does not grow faint. And quite frankly, nothing ever catches you by surprise either. And so, Lord, when we look at issues in our lives or things that come up or circumstances that, that we don't like, and we say, why, God? We don't always immediately receive a response but we can rest in the fact that you are still God. And Lord, I pray that as we look to the word this morning, that you will encourage us, as we even as a state are going through some difficult things, and I believe some more difficult things to come. And yet you are still God. And nothing is ever going to change that. And so Lord, I pray that you would guide our, our thoughts and our conversation, our discussion revolving around your word this morning. Lord, would you prompt us to look heavenward, that as aggravating as things can sometimes be in life, it is all temporal. We look toward that which is eternal. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, verse 28, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the ever lasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. That's a question, question of statement, if you will, right? Have you not heard, have you not known that the everlasting God, you ever thought about just the word everlasting for a moment? I mean, there is no beginning and no end. The everlasting God. God never wakes up on any particular morning not ever having not known something. He's everlasting. There's no place he's never not been, right? Nothing he's ever not known. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, there's no beginning, there's no end. There's just this continuity. The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. <coughs> How long does it take you to get weary? 
One pull-up, right? Two sit-ups, right? Um, Halfway around the track, you know? Up to the TV to get the remote. I don't know, whatever it is, you know? But how long does it take for you to get weary? And we get weary and we get tired. And, you know, as Christians, we go through life and so much stuff comes flying at us that, quite frankly, it's draining sometimes, isn't it? Because you see, as Christians, you have not only regular life coming at you, but you have a spiritual enemy who's coming after you as well. And you have to understand that, because as you're living the life as Christ would have you to live, you're going to draw greater and greater attention of the enemy. And as you draw greater, greater and greater attention of the enemy, there's more and more focus that can be very wearying for you as an individual. That can be wearying for you as a Christian. But thankfully, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? And so when we grow weary, when we grow tired from all of the weight that is on us, we can turn to the one who does not faint, who does not grow weary, who does not change. Fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. He gives power to the faint. Oh, I see this coming. I see this coming and I appreciate it. Did my voice sound that bad? I always worry about that when the guy says, we got to bring you something, you know? Like, does he sound that terrible? No, I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. He gives power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increaseth strength. You thought about the fact that our strength comes from God. Now, I don't mean just like have you thought this thought here on a Sunday morning, but through every day of the rest of your week or of the rest of your, your time as you go forward into this week, keep that thought in mind. He gives power to the faint. It's God who does that. And so we tend to, in our society, look to all sorts of places uh, to kind of get our renewal. And the funny thing is about living as an American today is even the places that we look for renewal tend to drain us, Right? Think about the vacations that we take. We had some limited vacation time this year, and so my family did something kind of crazy. We said, well, we got some time off. What are we going to do? We're going to go up to Six Flags, you know? Well, what? how silly that was. Like, that's a restful vacation day, right? You get up early in the morning so you can get there for parking. You got to load the whole van up, not to camp out for weeks at a time, but for like a day trip, this thing is loaded down. We get to Six Flags, we pull in, we got to fight to get through the line, we got to fight through lines all day long at Six Flags, I got to fight with kids who had way too much sugar for that kind of a day, right? And then I got to fight all night because now they want us to do this and do that and do that and they're getting more tired and tired and tired. And we drive home and we get home, we finally get there, we say, whew, wasn't that a great day off? Right? Now, are there times where you can have those kinds of renewal? Sure. I'm all for doing some fun stuff, and I get that. But boy, if we get to a point where that's like our only thought, man, we got some issues. And and there are people, we spend our whole lives where we actually vacation harder than we ever work, right? And we wonder why we don't find renewal in that. 
One of the things that is so lost, I think, in our Christian culture today is this idea of solitude. And that goes back to, boy, my days as a camp counselor. And, man, I, I still long for those days. And I keep, I keep saying we're going to carve this time out. We need to take these days or take a weekend and just have solitude. Because in the culture that I live today, the idea that I would take a day or I would take a weekend and go lock myself away in a cabin somewhere with just my Bible and me and my God, well, some people would call that laziness today. Well, what do you mean you'd go away and just spend time with God like that? Don't you have things to do? Absolutely. That's why we need to do it. The Bible says God gives power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we hear those verses, they're so familiar to us. And we probably have seen them, you know, so many times. We've heard them in church. We've sung them in songs. We've got, probably got them on some kind of placard at the house somewhere, you know, because we're Christian homes. We put Christian verses up. And, you know, we've seen them in little devotional booklets. And, and we have these verses all over the place. And so when, the danger is when we tend to read these verses, we tend to um, just read the words like we always have before. And so even as I read them, you're already finishing the phrase. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men well, shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. And we hear it come through this way. And I sometimes wish I could just kind of go, stop. And hear it like you've not heard it before. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I was sharing this verse recently with some folks. And one man came up to me afterwards and he says, i got to tell you something about eagles. He says, I know a thing or two about them and, and I'm not that much in his zoology, so I don't know that much about eagles. And he's telling me, well, I know a thing or two about them, so I'm listening. And, and he says, well, i got to tell you something. When the eagle begins to climb and it's flapping its wings, doing all this, there's a tremendous amount of energy that's used as it's soaring, as it's climbing. But then when it gets up there, boy, it just puts those wings out. And just as the verse says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. When you see that eagle soar, it's using minimal muscle movement at that point. It is the strength of the wind that is carrying the eagle. I thought, well, that is pretty good. I guess I hadn't really, really thought about it that way. Because when I read about wings like eagles, I think of these regal birds. I'm like, you know, man, they're flapping their wings, and they got talons and claws and mad beaks, you know, and rah, kind of thing, you know, Right? And that's what I'm picturing. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not like that. It's true that they have all that stuff. But he said, it's more about the fact that they have those massive wings are riding on the wind. The wind is literally carrying them. And I thought, you know what? There's some truth to that. Not too far from my house, we have what's called the birds of prey. 
which sounds very intimidating, doesn't it? It's actually a, a shelter for injured birds. And so you can go through there, and as these birds are, are healing, you can go see them, and, and you can walk through this very small little zoo-like structure, and you can see these various animals. And they've got some cool things in there. They've got like a cougar and some other stuff in there. And one of the things they have, that, that's a, a, he's a permanent resident, is they have this eagle. And it's actually one of the saddest things that you'll see. Because here's this eagle who will never fly again. And he is injured in such a way that all he can do is he lives in this little cage-like area. And he's on this perch. And every time I've been there, he's still on the perch. He's never going to fly again. And the people of the birds of prey know that. The people who see him know that. And it's very different to watch this creature that when you see birds fly around the, the hills where I live or, or, you know, through the various places, and you see the regalness of it, you say, man, that's an eagle. You can tell by the way they fly. And then you see one at Birds of Prey or some other zoo you've been to. And man, it's a discouraging thing to see it, isn't it? You see, the beauty of the eagle was not really in the eagle itself, but we see its majesty when it rides upon the wind. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The evening of June 24th, after the Senate took that vote, was discouraging. I'll tell you that probably for about a month or so around the organization, there, we were all in a bit of a funk, maybe a little longer than a month, as we thought about what does this look like now? And, um, you know, what does it mean for our ministry? What does it mean for New York? And what does it mean for what we go forward? And how do we continue to, to stand up for the family and to stand up for Christian values in, in light of some of the new legislation that has passed? And one of the takeaways that we brought from there was it's going to become even more important that there are voices that are speaking to the culture at large about the importance of the family. You know, when I spend time lobbying at the Capitol, um, when I deal with issues of particularly education, and I'll ask legislators, I'll say, what's the one thing we could do that would fix education? And I expect legislators to tell me, well, if we just double the funding, we could fix the education problems. The average cost of educating a student in New York State today is $18,534, average. It's actually about $26,000 per student per year in Long Island. And so depending on where you are in the state, it's a lot of money we're putting in the students. The average cost of educating a Christian school student as of a couple of years ago was about $3,500. Maybe it's up to $4,000 a year now, I don't know. But significantly less than a public school education. The average cost of educating a homeschool student today is about $1,000 per student per year. Um, it's interesting to look at those figures because as you see the public school education here, greatest dollar amount, lowest number of students that go on to higher education. Christian school education, say $4,000 a year, higher than public school rate of return of students going to higher education. Homeschool, lowest dollar investment, highest return and percentage of students that are going into higher education. Now, not that higher education is the only measure by which we look at these things, but it is one in which legislators say, well, that is a sign of success. 
And so I look at that issue when I talk with legislators. And so when I'm talking with legislators about these issues, I'll say, well, what can we do to fix education? And they say, well, we, you know, I'm thinking they're going to tell me it's all this money, and, and I wonder when is it going to be enough, you know? And then I was surprised when they began to say to me, now, we do want more money for education, but that's not really what's going to fix the problem. I said, well, what would? They said, well, if we could get parents involved in their kids' lives, we could turn things around in New York. Particularly in New York City, where many homes do not have a father in the home, particularly in the black home in New York City, uh, those legislators will say to me, if we could get dad involved in their kids' lives, what a difference we could make in education. And it really hit me as I was coming home from New York City just a few weeks ago. My wife and I were traveling through that region, and as we're driving through at 7.30 at night, we were watching parents picking up their small children from school. And so I'm, don't picture the, you know, the kids playing the sports teams in high school and things. I'm talking small children. In New York City, there is a program for when the kids get dropped off at school early in the morning, they're fed breakfast. And then there's the lunch meal provided by the school district. And in New York City, many schools also provide a dinner meal for children. And they have homework help and after-school programs so that parents are picking up their children at 7.30 at night. How much time do you think those parents could have with their children at home that night before they wake up and do it all over again the next day? Watching that scene unfold in New York City a few weeks ago, it made me think about those legislators' words again because, quite frankly, you know, where I live, it's not like that. You know, our kids, I see the buses going home at 2.30 in the afternoon, you know, and, and we're a homeschool family, and so, you know, we, we kind of always have the kids around, and, and I sometimes forget what some of these folks are talking about when they talk about the role of the parent in the, in the home. And here's a picture in New York City, and I'm sure it happens other places as well, but in New York City, we'll say for now, uh, there's this scene where parents have really turned so much of the responsibility of raising their children to the district. And, and to the superintendents and the teachers and others, rather than taking that involvement in their own family. And it made me think about our ministry as well. Because as we're going forward and as we're moving forward, more and more we're going to have to defend what God intended the family to be. We're living in a, in a culture now that is very confused on a number of issues. One is regarding human sexuality and gender. People are confused about, but what, what even is that? Can you change that? Is it mushy? Is it movable? I mean, you know, can that change? I was reading an article about the Girl Scouts. Girl Scouts in Montana have now decided to admit a uh, young boy uh, to the Girl Scouts. And he has a, uh, what some psychologists would call gender identity disorder. He thinks he's a little girl. And so the Girl Scouts have now said we will admit boys to Girl Scouts is a, is a policy of our tolerance. And I thought about that, and I thought, man, that's where the culture is going, isn't it? We are more and more confused about basic teachings of God's Word where God says male and female created them. And what's going to be a challenge, I think, for us as a church is how to speak those issues in winsome, articulate ways to the culture. Because quite frankly, we often come under the charge of being bigoted or hurtful or hateful or whatever for saying that we believe the family as God designed it to be as one man, one woman, and children. We believe that is the ideal. 
Doesn't always happen, but that's the ideal. And when we say that, that is lost in many ways in the culture today. And it's going to be important that we're talking about those issues outside the four walls of the church. Back in May, um, we had the privilege of traveling the state in the May Day for Marriage Tour. And some of you may remember seeing this RV that we had rented and shrink-wrapped and all this kind of stuff. And it had a marriage messaging on it. We drove it all around the state, and we were um, doing interviews and gathering at rallies and, and talking to people about the importance of marriage. And it's amazing how the press would cover us differently when all of a sudden we had a 32-foot RV. I now know why presidential candidates do this, okay? Um, when we show up somewhere, we want to give an interview. We don't always get the coverage. But all of a sudden, when you pull up in front of a 32-foot RV, now all of a sudden the press wants to talk to you because, like, there's something to show, you know? And so we were traveling the state in this RV, and, and I was trying to get a one program out of Albany to talk about some of these issues, and they just didn't want to give a lot of coverage to, to our side of the issue. And so I pulled this RV up in front of the studio, and I knocked on the door, and, and I said, we're here, we'd like to do an interview. And uh, they were kind of surprised we'd just drop in like that. And, and so we, they said, well, we can come out and do something. And um, I said, I'd like you to. And so they came out, we did an interview for about eight, ten minutes, something like that. And we went through, we talked about the importance of the family. And I'm watching light bulbs go on as I'm talking to seasoned reporters, people that you think will be opposed to us on these issues. And as we're talking about these issues, all of a sudden light bulbs are going on and they're starting to get what we're talking about. I was in Binghamton with this May Day for Marriage tour and a reporter came out and, and she was this young woman and she's asking all these questions and, and she's saying, well, what's the reasoning why you're opposed to same-sex marriage? Why do you support the family that's between a man and a woman and these kinds of things? And I'm giving her all these reasons. And I'm giving her, I'm saying, well, you know what? Studies show us that children do best when raised by mom and a dad. They generally uh, report being happier. There's less depression. They're, um, they report having better marriages and happier marriages um, later on in life. They're generally higher-paying, tax-paying citizens. And I'm going through all these kinds of things. And about five questions into it, she said, well, what do you say to those people who say that all your arguments are only religious? And I stopped and I said, well, have I given you any that are religious? And she said, well, no, come to think of it, you haven't. And so I said, well, seeing as you brought it up, because that's what I usually wait for is my opportunity, I said, let me tell you, I believe that God created the family to work a certain way. And I believe there are some things that are just eternal, and no matter what we try to do or how we try to improve upon them, we can't do it. God made the family to work a certain way. And there's a certain blessing for obedience, and there's a curse for disobedience, and that's true in areas of public policy as well as personal lives. And if we want to get good things for our state, then we need to go after things that will strengthen our state, like strong, solid families where mom and dad are loving and raising those kids. You see, God created the family to work a certain way. But even the social science research confirms what the Scripture has always taught us. And we've been thankful to receive quite a bit of coverage on this issue, uh, so much so that you know, we're, we're now becoming a place that people are calling for these quotes and for this, these statements to be given. And I'm thankful that God is giving us favor with the media, that we're giving opportunities to get our message out there in ways we have not historically been able to do so. Pastor was right when he said that politics is not going to save us, right? It's not just getting a little more moral will take care of things. That's not what we're talking about. Ultimately, what we do need is revival. 
And we recognize that. But I also believe that the Scripture tells us to reprove that which is evil, to occupy till he comes, to be salt and light in the culture around us, and to not grow weary in well-doing. As a human, we grow weary and we faint. We grow tired. But thankfully, we look to an eternal God who does not grow weary. He does not faint. And he will renew us. And he will challenge us. And he will encourage us. And he gives us the strength that we need. He increases the strength that we can run and not faint. That we can soar on wings like eagles. And I want to challenge you that even though some pieces of legislation have changed in New York, the gospel has not changed. The truth of God's word has not changed. And now more than ever, we will have greater and greater opportunities to be able to defend what it is the family is all about. After months of battling these issues, I was weary and still am to some extent looking forward to getting to West Africa and rejuvenate a little bit. But um, I was invited to, to actually officiate at a wedding a few weeks ago. And the wedding was for a former intern with our ministry, and it really was an encouraging thing for me. Because after so many months of battling legislation and, and making arguments and, and, and debating issues and all these kinds of things and saying this is what marriage is all about, God gave me the opportunity to officiate at one particular service. And this was a service for a couple who had done it right, if you will. I mean, they'd gone through their, their whole courtship, and you know, he had um, gone to dad and asked dad's permission, and they'd never even kissed until the wedding day, you know? I mean, this is just, this was great how this young couple was doing this, and went through the premarital counseling and the whole bit. And um, the day of the wedding, I'm, I'm standing there, and, and we're about to start the ceremony. And I found myself just awestruck at what was unfolding before me. See, when, when you're a pastor, doing a wedding is like the coolest thing you can do. Because every other service you do, people are looking at the pastor, right? You know? And, you know, you got to worry about, you know, is there something hanging out here, you know, whatever. And, but at a wedding, nobody cares. They don't care one thing about the pastor. Every other service, the pastor is up front. People are paying attention. At the wedding, they don't care what the pastor says. They are looking at one thing and one thing only. And that is what? Oh, you know it. Come on. They're looking at what? The bride. And so here I am at this wedding, and there is, we're standing at the front, and the bride's mother stands, and that signals to everybody else to stand. And the music starts, and in walks this beautiful young bride, and she begins to enter, and you can almost hear the, oh, the gasp as people look, and they just say, wow. And I always do something else because, you know, again, people aren't looking at the pastor, so I can look around and do whatever I want at a wedding, you know. And I always look to the groom to see what he's doing. And as soon as I look at the bride and I catch the first glimpse of her, all of a sudden I look right to him to see what he's doing. And this guy, his knees are still knocking, don't get me wrong, you know. I mean, he's nervous. I mean, he's thinking about putting the knees to the breeze still. But, but then when she comes out, he can't do it. All of a sudden he just goes, wow. And the awe just catches him. I was married at an outdoor wedding. You had to walk about a half a mile to where our wedding service actually occurred. And my best man was walking with me down to the wedding. And about halfway down to the wedding site, he says to me, he said, you know, I'm here for you, brother. 
And he said, if you decide now you want to run, I got the car keys. I can still get you out of here, all right? (laughs) He was no help to me. But he's right. If you're going to do it, do it now, because after you take the vows, it's too late. You do it now. I'd much rather somebody do it then than later, right? And I'm watching this scene unfold with this couple. And all of a sudden, it's just there's the moment, and, the, and everybody's looking, and, and he's awestruck. And I'm going through the whole ceremony with them, and, and, and we're doing all this. And, and I, I just felt like God's hand was over the place, like just holding it there. And God's favor was on it. And it rejuvenated me. It renewed me. It gave me a new energy to see what marriage is all about. It really did. Because so much of what we do legislatively can wear us down. But sometimes you just got to pull aside and you go to a place like that and you just see what God intended and you see people doing it the way that God intended it to be done. You just say, wow, it still works, doesn't it, God? And so God, we'll keep fighting for what you've taught us to do. And as more and more the culture around us tends to go off into other areas, it's going to get more and more confusing for a lot of people. And I believe it's going to give us greater and greater opportunities to stand up and to say, that's what marriage is supposed to be. And I trust that as we go forward, that you as individuals and as a congregation will reaffirm to a society at large, this is what marriage is supposed to be. Hold it precious. Cherish it. Honor it that the culture at large can look at it and say, this is what God intended. We'll have opportunities to shine like we've not had before if we will pay attention and walk in obedience. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time to look to your word. Lord, we do grow weary of the things of this world. Lord, even that is a reminder to us that greater things are yet to come. And Lord, I pray that as we as a people, uh, we do grow weary and tired of stuff going on around us. Lord, let that be a longing in our hearts for something which is eternal. And Lord, we'll keep fighting for things that, that your word teaches. And we'll keep holding up ideals that your word instructs us in. And Lord, we'll long for a heavenly home where then we can lay down our sword and we can enter into our rest. Lord, Today we do stand up and we proclaim the truths of God's word among, in many cases, a culture and a people that will not hear it. We are in many ways like prophets of old who say, thus saith the Lord, as even the people are being carried off into a captivity. But Lord, we long for a day when we enter into that great marriage supper of the Lamb. When we will ultimately look at and we will say, this is what marriage is all about. Everything in this life is just a type. It's just a picture. But it is to point us to something even greater. And so, Lord, thank you for what marriage is all about. Strengthen our spirits today. Lord, I pray for our ministry as we go forward, and as tomorrow we'll be having the first hearing in a court case revolving around this issue. I pray that you will go before us and give our attorneys and to give the judge that's hearing the case um, wisdom to see the situation. Give us favor again before the media and before a different counsel and before the judge. Lord, help us to have every opportunity to wisely say, this is what God intended. Lord, when we go before the press or we go before people that may not agree with us, it's okay if we embarrass ourselves, but let us never embarrass you. Lord, help us to always be true to what you teach. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen.